stories this hour. The suspected organiser of the April 2015 jihadist attack on Garissa University in eastern Kenya has been killed in Somalia. Ugandan opposition leader Kiza Besigye's treason trial began on Wednesday in the capital Kampala and fight and Finally, to Thursday marks the deadline for South Africa's political parties and independent candidates to submit the list of candidates who will run for the August 3rd local government elections. Good morning, I'm Jolani Tulo. The suspected organiser of the April 2015 jihadist attack on Garissa University in eastern Kenya has been killed in Somalia. Sixteen armed men, four of them senior commanders, including Mohammed Muhammad Ali, were killed by the Somali commandos and the special and the special forces of the Jubaland. Somalia's Minister of State Security confirmed the killing. Ugandan opposition leader Kiza Besigye's treason, treason trial began on Wednesday in the capital Kampala. Besigye, who claimed fraud after coming second in February's presidential election, was arrested last month after staging his mock inauguration ahead of President Yoweri Museveni's swearing-in. The state prosecutor told the judge that Besigye could not be brought to court for security reasons and requested that further hearings be held inside the prison. The case was adjourned and will resume when the magistrate rules on the request on June 15th. Somali government forces have killed the head of the intelligence unit in Al-Shabaab during a clean-up operation in the troubled country. Mogadishu Municipality spokesperson Abdi Fata Omar confirmed the killing. Omar did not provide any information on when the operation was carried out. Duad was reportedly in charge of Al-Shabaab's intelligence division. Thursday marks the deadline for South Africa's political parties and independent candidates to submit the list of candidates who will run for the August 3rd local government elections. The Independent Electoral Commission says more than 260 parties have registered so far. The Western Cape and the Eastern Cape Province have the most registered parties. The IEC said registered parties that wanted to contest the election should submit lists of the candidates before the close of business on Thursday. Still in South Africa, evidence leaders at the Klassen Board of Inquiry into the country suspended police commissioner Ria Piecha's fitness to hold office will continue with their closing arguments on Thursday. On Wednesday, the inquiry heard that she succumbed to political pressure during the violent labor unrest in August 2012 at Lonman's Platinum Mine in Marigana, during which 44 people were killed. Evidence leader advocate Ismail Jamie said that the findings of the board may result in criminal liability. Jamie told the board that he believed that they had presented facts which proved that Piecha was not fit for office. She's neither fit to execute her official duties efficiently nor according to law, but we don't distinguish between the two. All that we're saying there, members of the board, is that can't be expected by us to prove that she's not fit or to prove that she doesn't have capacity. That's for you to conclude on the basis of the facts put before you. And, and the facts are facts, not conclusions. 
Recapping the top stories, the suspected organiser of the April 2015 jihadist attack on Garissa University in eastern Kenya has been killed in Somalia. Ugandan opposition leader Kiza Bisigye's treason trial began on Wednesday in the capital Kampala. And today and Thursday, rather, marks the deadline for South Africa's political parties and independent candidates to submit the list of candidates who will run for the August 3rd local government elections. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. And you're listening to us uh, here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, if you want to comment and give us your views, do SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Another way you can interact with us here on African Dialogue is at info at channelafrica.org or at African Dialogue, which is our Twitter handle, which is at African Dialogue dialogue. Hey, we want to hear your views. Well, today we're going to be looking at a very different topic that we haven't really looked at before, but that is one that caught our attention, looking at the issue of um, African trade uh, in terms of waste, African waste trade, where poor African nations have been used as the dumping sites for Azadia's toxic waste materials from developed countries. Now, for the past three decades, poor African nations have been used as the dumping sites of Azadia's toxic Toxic waste materials from developed countries. Primarily, the international community are out to reduce the cost of disposing or recycling the byproducts of the industries. E-waste is routinely exported for developed countries to developing ones, often in violation of the international law. Now, to help us interrogate this, we joined on the line by Riku uh, Europidu. I hope I I pronounced that surname right. He's an environmental health campaigner at Groundwork. And also on the line, we've got Howard Balkan, who is a managing director at the Waste Trade Company. Let me start the conversation with you, Rico, in terms of trying to define what we mean by waste and hazardous waste. What are we really talking about? And, and it, it came to light in a variety of different um, settings. The most notable one was in a place called Minamata Bay in Japan. And basically, during Japan's post-war industrialization, a fertilizer factory was pumping out mercury into this area called Minamata Bay. And as the mercury was entering into the environment, mercury does this amazing trick. It, it changes. It can change from the inorganic state to the organic state. Um, through a process of methylation. Bacteria convert it, they get, it gets taken up into their cells, fish eat it, and as bigger fish eat smaller fish and it bioaccumulates up the food chain, mercury concentrates in fish. Mm. Now, mercury in man is highly toxic. And what happened in Minamata Bay in Japan is about 10,000 people developed this Minamata disease syndrome, which is severe congenital anomalies. Babies were born with deformed limbs and they were mentally retarded. People who were eating high levels of mercury in fish started getting new neural problems. It was developed, mm-hmm. it was affecting their Hello? system and they were shaking. Mm. So these were this was 
one of the big sentinel kinds of um, incidents that alerted the world to this idea that waste is not something that just goes away. Away is our environment, and we mm. live in our environment. And if we damage the environment that we live in, it affects us. Now, in Africa in particular, waste became a, a problem. It came to, to life when the global West, as it was developing the OECD countries, they started um, having to pay higher and higher costs to deal with their hazardous waste. And the higher the costs, the more they were looking for cheaper disposal options. And Africa sure. then became the dumping ground. Well, thank you. So, sure. thank you for giving us that backdrop, Rico. Sure. Say again? I'm saying thank you for giving us that backdrop. It's actually yeah. interesting because also you're looking at it from a historical perspective. Let me move on to see if our other guests there. Howard Balkan, the Managing Director of the West Trade Company. Are you there, Howard? Uh, good morning, Benjamin. F- yes. Fantastic. Let me check if Desmond uh, decides there, who's the spokesperson for the South Durban Environmental Alliance. Desmond, are you there with us? Yes, and good morning, everyone. Fantastic. Great. Now, let me move to you, Howard, in terms of looking at this issue of this term that I found very interesting, African waste trade. And I think uh, Rico was coming into this term. What is this phenomenon that we're seeing, especially when it's actually now the association comes to the word trade? I find that interesting. Okay, look, um, yeah, my business, the name is The Waste Trade Company. And um, basically, we are environmentalists at heart. Um, and one of our key core um, uh, projects is educating children. Um, they need to understand that waste is a resource and not just a disposable um, item. Okay. Um, and our, our main aim is to divert waste from landfill. Okay. That's our key, to find alternatives to landfill. So that is where sort of the waste trade comes in. We recycle it. Mm. Uh, we don't like calling ourselves waste management people. We are recyclers. We look at alternatives to landfill. Mm. Well, also, I'm, I'm, I'm interested also in just looking at the phenomenon of what's happening. And let me move to you, Desmond uh, Desar. We hear that, um, you know, Howard highlighting what they do as the waste trade company in terms of how they actually want to actually recycle waste. But we know most of the time that waste on the continent sometimes becomes a, a dumping problem where people dump their uh, resources or waste that they don't want to utilize here on the African continent. How rife is this, Desmond? Well, it's widespread, you know, we are seeing a lot of importing of the waste. It's become a lucrative business for individuals Mm. and for companies to make huge amounts of money. And waste has been dumped in Africa and in South Africa. And this has been, uh, this waste has come from all over the northern countries, Europe, uh, the U.S. and other parts of the world. And uh, Africa is becoming the dumping ground of all these waste streams and toxic waste, that's, um, which has a huge impact on people. You just got to look at all the hazardous landfill sites um, and communities living around. They've all been affected with their health, with their quality of life has been destroyed. Schools have had to shut on account of um, these chemicals that are coming out, that have been emitted from these recycling plants, or the nausea that's coming out of the uh, hazardous landfill sites. And, you know, the last mm. uh, few months... Uh, 
we are seeing that the behavior of the waste companies in South Africa is really um, out of out of line. They're not uh, they're not conforming. Um, they're getting away because there's no enforcement. There's no sanctions. In fact, there's a slap on the wrist. And yet, these waste companies are making huge amounts of profits out of this year. But every community I've gone to uh, in Durban, working with the local community around the hazardous side that live around there, you you've got to look at the medical bills they're paying. You've got to look at the sicknesses that the children have to endure and account every day. It tells a different story completely. Mm. Uh, in fact, we should not be accepting this toxic waste from other parts of the world into South Africa. Mm. Well, sure, um, sure. And sure. we should be put into place. Mm. Uh, we should put into place proper. Mm. Uh, uh, recycling um, methods and moving away from these toxic chemicals. Mm, that's a very worrying area that you highlight there, and we'll come back to that, Desmond, the issue of regulation. Do we have tough regulation on the continent to prevent these issues from taking place? Hey, what are your thoughts on this conversation? SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Also joining us on the line just now is Mark Gordon, who is the Deputy Director General of the Chemicals and Waste Management. I'm told that he is in a conference in Durban uh, that's taking place dealing with the issue of waste so we'll speak to him after this break but let's take a quick break and then we'll find out what's happening in Durban there with that particular conference hey you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Just one announcement that we have to make. There has been a change in terms of what's happening on DSTV. We're no longer on uh, Channel 902. Now we're on Channel 802. So, yeah, that's where you can also listen to us. We're now on Channel 802. Maybe you'll be wondering what's happening with that DSTV channel. we now been moved to Channel 802. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya. And you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. On DSTV now, we are on Channel 802. There's that difference and that change that has changed in terms of those channels on the audio bouquet on DSTV. So do note that. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at the issue of uh, Africa waste trade, where poor African nations have been used as the dumping sites for hazardous toxic waste materials from developed countries. Joining us in our program, we've got Rico, who started the program with. That's Rico Yuripidu, who is an environmental health campaign at Groundwork. You also have Howard Balkin, who's the managing director at the Waste Trade Company. And Desmond Desar is the spokesperson for the South Durban Environmental Alliance. Now joining us is Mark Gordon, who is the Deputy Director General at the Chemicals and Waste Management. Let's also bring you in, Mark, in this conversation. Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, thanks, Benjamin. Um, pleasure. Now, Mark, tell us a little bit about this uh, conference that's taking place in Durban in terms of dealing with waste management. Tell us what's happening there and what is the conference called so we can just find out what's, what you're up to there. Yeah, so basically it's, uh, it's a conference that is convened uh, uh, annually where uh, delegates from the different sectors of uh, society including business, industry, uh, uh, commerce, civil society, as well as government officials representing all three spheres of government uh, converge. And we deal with matters in, the, you know, in terms of addressing the challenges uh, facing the sector. This year, we've had a theme that's called Promoting Innovation and Upscaling Enterprise Development in the Waste Sector and really looking at best practice technologies Mm. the aspect of research, development, and innovation and its contributions to, to our work, as well as looking at the whole um, aspect of uh, job creation uh, at an enterprise uh, level. So it's a forum uh, really to, to exchange information, share best practices uh, you know, in a mutually beneficial manner. But also, in terms of government coordination, we also look at uh, ways in terms of strengthening institutional capacity and coordination between the three spheres of government uh, mm. as well. So it's been uh, three days, the first two days. Uh, I don't know. I think we lost someone there on the line. I'm not sure. Just hold on there, Mark. Let's see if our technical uh, guys can find out who we lost there on the line. I'm not quite sure. But, okay, you can go on, Mark. Uh, uh, carry on. Yeah, so... The three days uh, we concluded with the last two days really being very serious uh, dialogue. We've had the Minister of Environment Affairs presiding uh, over the event with the Deputy Minister. And um, uh, we were very, very uh, encouraged by the the, the level of dialogue. We've also had a panel of eminent speakers, including the uh, former UN High Commissioner on Human Rights, uh, Judge Navi Pillay also talking to mm. us uh, from her perspective sure. of toxic justice and, and so forth. Mm. And some of the uh, your uh, participants today were also part of the conference, like mm. Rico and Desmond as well, I think. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a matter of, uh, you know, hearing uh, what people have to say, looking at ways that we have to uh, uh, adjust uh, uh, policy and, and regulations 
And today we're concluding with, with uh, site visits to, amongst others, some contaminated sites in the mm. region that mm. uh, government is working together with uh, other role players to fix up mm. the environment. And, and actually, from, from, from historically past dumping of waste that came from, from other countries. So mm. we are dealing with this, and it's, it's like 25 years later, mm. you know, we, we're trying to fix up problems that happened uh, way ago that, you know, where, where uh, waste was brought into South Africa and, uh, you know, under various guises. But, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So let me bring let me bring let me bring Rico in, Mark, into this conversation, especially when it comes to the issue that was highlighted by Desmond there when he was speaking about the issue that we don't have a lot of regulation really pinned down when it comes to waste uh, and and also dumping of waste. Um, how far are we with that, especially as a continent? It seems very worrying that we still haven't dealt with that element of things. Rico, that's, that's, that's for Rico. That's questions for Rico. South Africa is signatory to an international convention called the Basel Convention on the Transboundary Movement of Hazardous Waste. And this convention is meant to protect us from other countries dumping waste in our country. Hmm. Now, key elements of that, of that convention include an amendment called the Basel Ban Amendment. And in Africa, African countries after a, a big dumping incident in the Ivory Coast in 2006, we came together and said, we need our own convention. We need an African convention mm. to stop us from, um, to protect us from mm. hazardous waste being dumped in, in, in our continent. Of course, it's a major convention. Rico, eh? but, mm. but South Africa is not a signatory to this. South Africa doesn't want to sign it because South mm. Africa continues to take hazardous waste from other countries. And that in itself is highly problematic. If South Africa is, needs to be in a position to deal with hazardous waste, for example, from mm. Lesotho or from Swaziland or from Botswana, you know, used oil, maybe lead battery recycling, that's fine. That can be done on a bilateral basis. But South Africa needs to take leadership in Africa and needs to take a position that says to the rest of the world, we will not allow dumping of hazardous and toxic waste in our borders because we are not the dumping ground of the mm. world. Unless South Africa does this, we will continue to be vulnerable to this kind of thing. And that is the, the crux of the matter. Mm. Africa is vulnerable to dumping of hazardous waste, because as a continent, we are, we are vulnerable. Mm. Well, Desmond, that brings me back to the point of is the waste management industry integrated enough? Um, sometimes we hear people speaking about the issue of um, how, you know, um, our, I'm interested in the fact that how is it integrated? You know, sometimes we divide what waste management is. And someone was talking about earlier on that they prefer saying that they are waste trade company instead of um, kind of. In, you know, a waste management issue. Is the waste industry integrated enough? Is it working and synergizing enough? Or is everyone still doing their own thing in, in, in the continent whereby we don't have see it integrated effort? Desmond? I totally agree. There is no integrated effort. Um, from what my, my own experience working with all around waste issues in South Durban and throughout the province now, it's clear to me that the the integrated approach has disseminated and that each and every waste company is out there for profit 
and all they're concerned about is importing more waste so they can make more money out of it and recycling in South Africa. And the society, the South African society is burning, is going the, the brunt of the whole thing uh, with the high levels of, um, of health problems that we are experiencing in, in Durban at this present moment in time, and in particular those that live along landfill sites. Mm. So the integrated approach doesn't exist. Uh, government has allowed the waste companies so much of power, uh, and the permitting of these waste companies is left to the companies. They do they they bring in their own consultants, and at the end of the day, the government agrees on it, whatever they put in the document. But to hold those companies accountable, it's left to the community, the affected community, to do something about it. And we've seen this in many of these monitoring committees. Most of these meetings are rubber stamped by the waste companies because they pick and choose certain people to be honest, and that those that are vocal never get to, their views are never heard. Mm. So the integrated approach, as far as we are concerned as communities, um, is not, it's a, it's a good approach, and the government should put all the effort in ensuring that this approach is done, because we need an integrated approach, we need the recycling, we need the phasing out of these toxins, um, we need the uh, uh, certain chemicals, the conventions that we've signed to be implemented so that they don't end up in landfill sites, but that they can phase out of, out of our society. Mm-hmm. And so that approach is so crucial. But because this approach has not been policed, and because this approach has been left to the waste companies, no one knows what is coming into this country. Waste is coming in, being brought in from all, of, all parts of the world and in other parts of South Africa to the recycling companies, to the landfill sites, and and dumped there. And in some cases, no one knows what's been dumped and how it's been dumped mm. because there's a, there's a cloud of secrecy. And this is what we are afraid, and this is what I'm afraid of. Mm. There's a cloud of secrecy, and government needs to step in to make sure that because we have a lot of toxic waste coming in, waste that can kill thousands of people. We need an open and transparent process where society as a whole is involved, but more importantly, government as a regulator and enforcement of, of, of the waste. Is there sitting at the table hmm. and able to hold his ways coming accountable for the action? Hmm. Well, let me bring in uh, Howard here. Your thoughts about this issue of uh, an integrated effort? Why are we failing in this regard, Howard? Um, look, I can only use personal examples of, uh, of, of um, multinational companies that we are dealing with. Um, hmm. Some of which are zero waste to landfill. Now, in, in, in the case with these companies, we are having to go and audit um, all the companies that we send materials to for recycling, whether it's hazardous or non-hazardous. And the client, generally, the environmental officer comes with us on these audits. So the owners has to go back to the generator. The people that generate the waste need to be accountable for the waste at the end of the day, and they need to put, do research and development to find ways mm. of being able to reuse their waste as a resource as opposed to just having end-of-life um, expectancy on, the, on these uh, waste materials. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, the generators are the ones that, uh, that that's, that's the starting point. And it's not, I don't think there's a quick fix to this. You know, people need to be educated and, yeah, business 
out there, it's dog eat dog, you know, so the mm. guys are out to make a profit. And unfortunately, you know, the, um, the beneficiaries are going to be our future generations which are going to have to deal with the problems that we're creating at the moment. Mm. Well, I'm going to take another break. This is a very interesting conversation. And also what I always wanted to know was the issue of what happens to these landfills, landfill dumping areas. I mean, it's very concerning that you have a lot of them in South Africa, but it seems like they've just been isolated and left there. And what happens to them? What, what happens to those sites? Because that's land not utilized. So I'm also interested in that area and how that particular aspect works. But we'll come back to all our guests just to look at that particular element. Joining us on the line, we've got, uh, uh, just who just spoke, is Howard Balking. He's the managing director of the West Trade Company. And also we've got Desmond Dessau, who's the spokesperson for the South Durban Environmental Alliance. Also joining us is uh, Mark Gordon, the deputy director general, who is uh, from the Chemicals and Waste Management. And uh, Rico Arapidu is an environmental health campaigner at uh, Groundwork. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're looking at the issue of uh, waste and waste trade on the African continent and also using their continent as a dumping site. There's a lot of challenges as was highlighted as we started the program. Now I want to look at uh, landfills. A country such as South Africa itself has a long history of utilizing landfills as a way of uh, actually uh, dealing with waste as a method there. Mark, in terms of, I know we're trying to phase out this issue of uh, utilizing landfills as an option but what happens to the landfill areas where we've got so many of them in South Africa and what happens to those spaces thanks Benjamin yeah just to say that in terms of landfilling and I think Howard uh, did mention it is Mm. that uh, landfill in terms of the waste hierarchy is the very very last option so our approach to waste is reduce reuse recycle disposal as a very last option. But obviously we, we have had a history of, uh, of, of landfilling uh, in the country. They uh, cover, and, and the system uh, in terms of licensing covers two uh, different waste streams. One is hazardous uh, waste, or what we call a level one type of waste. is more the industrial, uh, commercial, toxic kind of waste, if you want to call it that. Mm. And then it's the municipal solid waste that comes from... Uh, uh, residential homes and so forth. 
And every one of those uh, landfills needs a license. Licenses for general landfill sites are issued by the provinces and the hazardous landfill sites. Uh, those licenses are issued by uh, the National uh, Department. And uh, in terms of the history, uh, we've been closing down a number of sites. When they reach the, the airspace uh, limits, mm. they are closed, mm. and there's a proper uh, system and uh, methodology in terms of how they're closed mm. and uh, capped uh, in terms of uh, the impact on the environment being uh, limited. And in terms of illegal sites around, around the country, those have been also uh, declared illegal and closed. So we do annual uh, audits uh, around the country in terms of uh, what's happening with landfilling and things like, uh, you know, uh, waste being put into a uh, hole in the ground and that being regarded as a landfill and all of that. That practices have been stopped a long time ago. And we have very, very few landfills in, in the country. I'm talking general landfill sites that, in fact, are non-compliant. So mm. talking about the compliance and enforcement regime, we, we have a regime, and uh, just to let Desmond know, uh, in terms of compliance and enforcement, every single landfill has a permit. With the permit comes a whole range of conditions mm. and reporting and a compliance regime in terms of uh, the impacts associated with the landfilling. That is, in terms of um, the ball samples, uh, leachate samples, and the actual control. Mm -hmm. So we don't just leave it sure. to a waste company to manage things by themselves. They have to report, they have to comply, their enforcement measures. Um, yeah. And people know that we have closed down, in fact, uh, landfill sites uh, and uh, massive ones that we're imposing on communities. So... I think it's safe to say that we, we have a control uh, of, mm. of all of these uh, sites. We have beefed up our compliance and enforcement regime substantially. Mm. The issue of uh, toxic waste being dumped in, um, in Africa, I think for South Africa, I can safely say that there is no such thing as toxic waste coming and being dumped in this country. Uh, Rico did mention the issue of the Basel Convention and the compliance to that. And if there's waste that's being applied for being disposed of in mm. this country, it's done in a very, very rigorous uh, manner of compliance and analysis and safety and transport and all of that. And uh, waste does not come into this country to be dumped in this country. Mm. Let, me bring Des let me bring Desmond in, uh, Mark. Desmond, Desmond do, you, do you agree with some of the sentiments they made by Mark? Well, I agree with some of them. I mean, look, um, we've tried to reach out and work closely with government on a number of these landfill sites. Mm. But the problem is so overwhelming. Where, these, where a number of these hazardous landfill sites have been lawless upon themselves. They read the law amongst themselves where they've done what they felt like. It. And Mark would know that a number of them have, we found, uh, illegally dumped uh, materials such as medical waste and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we're still finding out that the landfill sites, in most cases, um, whether it's in where I live in Durban mm. or in other parts of the country, we are finding out that the waste, uh, the waste generator, the waste company, is allowed to do what they feel like it and withhold information, but more more critically is that they... they the, the land, on behalf of the landfill site owner, they they probably when they affect people, 
the information mm-hmm. is not forthcoming. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and we are sitting at these meetings and trying to understand mm-hmm. the role government plays in all these, uh, in all these meetings in regard to, to waste mm-hmm. and to, in regard to the landfill sites. We're finding more and more of that. Yes, in some cases, government has been proactive. But in other cases, government has not been proactive at all. And it's happening in quite a few of these hazardous landfill sites. We're also finding out that these hazardous landfill sites are, you know, during the apartheid era, they were placed in poor black communities. Yeah, and we've still yeah. seen that that perpetration of allowing hazardous landfill sites in communities and near communities continues up until today. Mm. And uh, the question that we would like to ask more, you know, why is that being allowed? Why is government not stepping in and saying, well, hazardous landfill sites, you know, we, what are the plans in place to look at how, um, how to deal with this hazardous waste? What approach has been taken to the, to the, to the industries that are producing all the hazardous waste? Mm. Well, Desmond, let um, me bring... discussions are taking place? Sure. Desmond, I'll pose that question back to Mark himself, but let, Rico, your, your sentiments in terms of this part of the conversation, what would you like to add? really ambitious in terms of waste in South Africa. Waste, like you've mentioned previously and like others have mentioned, is only waste once the human construct, the human make it into waste. If we all separate at source in our households, we can almost achieve this idea of zero waste. And in places where they have put in progressive policies like California, they have gone from almost 10% recycling to over 75% diversion from landfill sites just by putting in zero waste measures. You have three bins, one gets organics, the other one gets recyclables, the other one gets your black bin stuff. Mm. You have continual education. We don't need landfill sites. We don't need this hump and dump approach to waste. We can use waste as a resource. We can integrate um, informal waste workers. You know, when you wake up early in the morning and you see the trolley brigade, you hear them in Joburg all the time, these guys that are <laughs> earning their livelihood. Mm. We can integrate them into the formal economy. We can use them to provide services mm. where no services exist in mm. townships, in um, informal settlements. These people are waste workers. They understand the value of waste. They can help with education. They give us an environmental service, and nobody pays them for that service. Mm. Mm. We need to start paying for that service because they are averting an environmental cost that we would have to pick up anyway. Mm. So we need to rethink waste. Waste is not waste. Waste is a human construct. In nature, there is no waste. Mm. Nature doesn't create waste. There are no landfill sites in nature. So we need to mm. think along those lines. A circular economy, not a linear economy. Mm. Let me bring you, Howard, your thoughts around that, especially this area of educating people and also creating more of an awareness, because I think that's where we're also lacking in terms of just our consciousness on how we deal with waste. Um, yeah, look, there are so many opportunities um, um, in the waste sector for um, whatever, whether it's business, whether it's Schools, our mm. school program, our, the schools that we service and that we educate, they are rewarded for the um, for the recyclables that, that that are collected from them. Uh, the informal, I'm I'm based in Port Elizabeth, and and it amazes me just how effective these hawkers are in Johannesburg. You know, wherever you go, 
they they like ants at work, <laughs> you know, mm. and um, and these guys are all being rewarded for the effort that they're putting in. So they all they all entrepreneurs. Each individual one of them, they know the value of what they what they're picking up. So there is a lot of opportunity. It's a matter of uh, facilitating. Mm. Who facilitates it? Is it facilitated by government or is it facilitated by the private sector? I believe it's a combination because if the private sector are are collecting waste off the curb, then there should be some reward from from the municipality because it's saving them money having to pick mm, as much stuff mm, up and mm. go go to landfill. So, yeah, I think there is opportunity, and I think it's, you know, it, it starts at home. There needs to be a groundswell because the youngsters are the ones that are going to go to varsity and find the solutions to these problems in time to come. Mm. Well, let's wrap it up with you, Mark. Your, your, your thoughts, Mark, in terms of where we are with this conversation, especially with some of the points brought to you by Desmond uh, Desaad yeah. there, speaking really about the issue of have we actually changed the landscape of how we deal with the waste management, especially looking at the whole um, issue of the new dispensation and the old dispensation of landfills. Your thoughts around some of the issues you touched there, Mark? So, so Benjamin, uh, I, I think in terms of what Desmond is saying, we have transitioned substantially in terms of how we control and manage uh, these historical landfill sites. So Desmond will tell you the ones that he's been living in next door to, we've closed them down. The ones that have been behaving badly, we've closed them down. We've been closing down a number of landfill sites across the country because our view is that landfilling as a last option, you know, really should be discouraged. So I want to tell you that in terms of the entire aspect around waste beneficiation, mm, recycling, mm, promoting a recycling economy, setting up enterprises, creating jobs, waste, we're saying, is a resource. It's a resource that is valuable. It should not be dumped. We are busy working with municipalities around the uh, value chain of from collection at source, what next? Building that value chain, a number of municipalities across the country have implemented various types of models for waste separation. So our approach to this is both from an economic point of view to provide incentives, provide the appropriate pricing of waste so that recyclers benefit and can, mm. and can build uh, the kind of scale of industries to absorb uh, you know, a large amount of jobs, but at the same time make it absolutely financially viable that waste can be recycled at the scale where they can become an economic growth engine, number one. Number two, from a regulatory point of view, we would provide the enabling regulatory regime by the forced waste separation at source, forced recycling, but to ensure then, like like municipalities, there are some municipalities that have the infrastructure to do this. There are some suburbs that can do this and others not. Mm. So we have been doing this over the last 10, 15 years of preparing municipalities, doing the awareness, the education, putting in the, the, the necessary infrastructure to do this. We've also looked at international best practice. Some countries are doing away with uh, the three-bin system. Australia doesn't do that anymore. Sweden doesn't do that anymore. Some of them have gone back to a one-bag, a uh, one-bin system. And it's about how we create the value chain around recycling centers mm. uh, closest to the source of generation, 
buyback centers and so forth. So there's different ways and different applications in terms of how we deal with this. We are very, very encouraged dealing with manufacturers and to the extended producer responsibility that in South Africa, uh, the, the collection rate of our waste streams, like paper, plastic, glass, and metals have increased substantially over the last few years. Well, we so have to... We, we have, have to look at an sure, approach of... Sure. Go ahead, Mark. We just have to wrap it up. Plus, yeah, regulations and where we can support, you know, uh, the industry at the same time, make sure that society is protected from the harmful impacts of, of, of waste uh, of landfill sites. I can assure you now that we discourage landfilling totally. Mm. Well, I have we to, I have to, have we have to end it there, Mark. I've ran out of time. Yeah. I'm sorry, I apologize. That is Mark Gordon, who's the Deputy Director General of the Chemicals and Waste Management. Thank you as well to Desmond DeSales, the spokesperson for the Durban, South Durban rather, Environmental Alliance. And we had Howard Balkin there who also spoke to us. He's the Managing Director of the Waste Trade Company. Finally, but not least, we also had Rico uh, Uripidu, who is an environmental health campaigner at Groundwork. Your thoughts around this conversation, let us know what you think. Plus 2779-695-7930. That's our SMS, plus 2779-695-7930. Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back and then we'll move on. Or let's just go quickly directly to our economics update. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. South Africa's largest vehicle financial, West Bank, has started a process to enforce insurance covers on all vehicles financed by the group. The company has found that a number of car owners allow their comprehensive insurance covers to lapse a few months into the contract. The company says clients who fail to show proof of insurance will automatically be given a limited cover worked into their premiums. Rudolf Mahoney is head of brand and communications at West Bank or if we find that they do not have um, comprehensive insurance cover on the on the account, we are then we then debit a, a, a short term um, outstanding debt protection policy against the, the account. Um, that is only in cases where the customer do not respond to West Bank to our attempts or where we find that they actually do not have insurance. So this is a limited cover policy which only covers the outstanding debt on the account in cases where the car is a total loss. Nigeria's oil production has suffered another decline as the militant group Niger Delta Avengers NDA attacked Chevron's facilities on Wednesday. This comes as leaders of a besieged Gamaratu Kingdom in the Wari Southwest local government Arias Delta State on Wednesday and called on the federal and Delta State governments and other humanitarian organizations to come to the assistance. FastJet says it expects to report a trading loss and remain a cash flow negative in 2016 as business in Tanzania remained weak. The African budget airline said load factor in Tanzania for 2015 was down 6.6 percentage points to 66.7% and revenues were impacted by a weakening Tanzanian economy and political uncertainty in the East African country. And a team of the, from the IMF is visiting Angola to negotiate a loan facility after lower oil prices 
hammered the finances of Africa's second largest crude exporter. The ministry said the IMF team will be in Angola from the 1st of June up until June 14th and will discuss options on how to diversify the economy and reduce the dependence on the oil sector. Angola said in April that it would begin loan renegotiations with IMF on a three-year loan facility. MTN Rwanda has announced a new platform to boost uh, data usage among the youth. The campaign dubbed YOLO Go Be Great aims at increasing internet usage and and uh, connectivity among youth across the country. The platform provides subscribers with exciting YOLO pack products including voice and internet data. Now, financial indicators. The dollar at 15.66, South African rands at 11.09, Botswana Pula 10.41, Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.69 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,215, platinum at $971 per fine ounce. Brand crude oil $49.75 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. Well, it's that time to have uh, Figzozo to give us our uh, sports news. That's Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour is rugby news. South African junior springboard captain Jeremy Ward says they are ready and raring to go and take part in the upcoming World Cup Rugby Under-20 Championship in Manchester in England from the 7th to the 25th of June. The junior box wrapped up their preparations with a gym session during the day and later in the evening presented with blazers. Ward says the mood is high in the camp and the players are not nervous but excited ahead of the competition. I think it's more excitement than nerves at the moment. Uh, the, the presentation ceremony of the Blazers in that last night really got the guys excited. And I think the last two months have been hard work, but they really just want to head over to England and get the job done now. It's been very tough. I mean, in our first meeting together, the coach and the conditioning staff all told us that they want us to be the fittest team in the tournament. So they really have pushed us. And I mean, from the first game, um, they've accepted nothing but our, our very best. And they've pushed our limits and they've tested how far we can go in terms of fitness and training and that. So it's been a lot of hard work and it's been a long process but it's all it's all hopefully going to pay off in the end in football news quality and skilled coaching is one of the main challenges south african football is grappling with at the lower levels of the game and this results in substandard talent being produced the south african football coaches association safka home to coaches from the 341 safa local football associations and 52 regions held a youth coaching seminar at the johannesburg stadium last week and the main aim was to pave the way forward for coaches at that level safa technical director neil tovey who opened the seminar with a comprehensive presentation was delighted by the platform We've got quite a few more than 60, uh, but uh, we, that's what you say. We've got to get them into instructors. The more instructors, then there's more coaches. So, uh, and, and then there's more coaches, then I get more possible instructors getting developed. And uh, this, this make no means that being a coach and being an instructor are two different, uh, two different areas. You know, you can be learned, but you might not be a teacher. So an instructor has been able to teach the game. 
uh, whereas a coach is also teaching the game, but it's, you've got your players and your, your teams to teach. So there are some coaches that cannot be instructors. They don't have the, the, the ability to, to instruct and to, to teach. The International Olympic Committee, the IOC, says it will target Russia, Mexico and Kenya in pre-Olympic drugs testing due to the country's track records as it looks to root out cheats ahead of this year's Rio de Janeiro Games. IOC spokesman Mark Adams. The budget for the pre-Olympic testing program is now doubled. The program comes on top of the extensive program already being carried out by international federations and national anti-doping organizations. Special focus will be put on countries where the testing program is non-compliant, Kenya, Russia and Mexico. The ruling body says it is also doubling the budget allocated for pre-Olympic drugs testing from 500,000 to 1 million US dollars. We didn't play that much the, the last few years. I played them in London last year. That's it. On clay, it's been. And in tennis news, reigning French Open champion Stanislav Wawrinka has talked up the credentials of Andy Murray ahead of their semi-finals match. Wawrinka defeated Spain's Albert Ramos Vinolas to storm into the French Open semi-finals with a 6-2, 6-1 and 7-6 victory on Wednesday. That sets up a mouth-watering meeting with world number two Andy Murray, who saw off Frenchman Richard Gasquet in four sets and is a player the Swiss rates highly. We didn't play that much the, the last few years. I played him in London last year. That's it. On clay, it's been it's been a long time, I think. Uh, he improved a lot. He's playing so well, uh, especially again, if you look this year, he won Rome, uh, final in Madrid, semi-final Monaco. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, interesting match for sure. Uh, we normally play some some good battle uh, in the past, so I'm I'm quite happy to play him. I think it's going to be a great challenge and a great semi-final. Mare, who came from a set down to beat Gasquet five seven seven six six love and six two in front of a pro Gasquet center court crowd, commented that he will need to be at his best to beat Vavrinka in the semi-final. Again, he's been at the top of the game now for a number of years you know and, and still improving and you know been a little bit inconsistent this year but obviously won the tournament last week um and has been playing better with with each match here so it'll be obviously very tough he plays well on that court um so i have to to play great tennis to to beat him that's your sport news this hour Well, that's how we wrap it up. And uh, thank you for joining us on our program today. Uh, remember, we want to hear from you. Uh, so you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Engage with us also on our Twitter handle at African Dialogue. A big announcement we have to make. There has been a change on the DSTV channel. We're no longer on channel 902. It's been moved to channel 802. So do find us there. And remember, we're still online on www.channelafrica.co. Well, we'll be back with you next week, Monday, and uh, we'll cover more topics on the African continent. But for me, Benjamin Mushatama, until next time, God bless.